welcome to, uh, to week six of the Oxford Transitional Justice Research Seminar Series. Um, it's, a, it's a real privilege for us this evening to, to have Dolic, uh, Dr. Alex Jeffrey with us. Uh, Alex is a lecturer in, in human geography at the University of, of Newcastle. Um, Alex is a, a political geographer working particularly on, on the Balkans um, and especially looking at the, the period of conflict since uh, the 1990s. Um, I guess as we're going to hear this evening, much of his, his work is, is based on in-depth field work, um, particularly in Bosnia, looking at uh, conflict and, and, and post-conflict issues. Um, this research has fed into all sorts of teaching and all sorts of publications that Alex has done. Um, I, I, I'm not going to go into it because his length of publications is much too long and uh, his extensive teaching experience is, uh, is much too lengthy and would probably end up taking up half the seminar time, I think, in, in and of itself. But uh, Alex is, is going to, to speak to us um, this evening on localising transitional justice in Bosnia and uh, looking particularly at the, uh, the, the, the war crimes chamber of, uh, of the Bosnian courts. Um, Alex, thanks very much for, for, for coming down. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the invitation um, to, to, to speak today. I think um, there, are, there, there seem to be two dramas um, being played out in, in Bosnia um, today that have a bearing on the future of the Bosnian state. Two key dramas, I should say. There's clearly more. Two key dramas. The first relates to the, um, as you'll perhaps be aware, the first relates to the negotiations over the future of the state's constitution. This, this sort of rolling process, that's called Bukmir process, that's taking place in meeting rooms um, across Bosnia. Now, these negotiations, which have been the focus of um, intense media scrutiny, involve political representatives from the EU, the US and Bosnia attempting to revise the Byzantine territorial arrangements set in place at the Dayton Accords in 1995. In particular, this process of constitutional reform has involved international attempts to strengthen the Bosnian state at the expense of powers that have been devolved to, to sub-state um, entities, most notably, of course, the two entities that make up um, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, the Republika Srpska, and the Muslim Krajewa Federation. These moves are resisted in particular by the Republika Srpska, whose politicians argue that the dilution of the power of the RS um, would, would itself pose a threat to the future of the Bosnian state. Now, the second drama that has a bearing on the future of, of Bosnia is a trial of Radovan Karadzic at the ICTY in the, tr in the Hague, or I should say the sort of pre-trial and the sort of stalling initial phases <laughs> of the trial of Radovan Karadzic at the Hague. Perhaps the most significant aspect of this, of this process thus far has been Karadzic's insistence um, that he has been granted immunity from prosecution in the past by Dayton negotiator, US Ambassador Richard Holbrook. Holbrook, of course, denies this, but I think it, it forms part of Karadzic's argument that the tribunal does not hold legitimate judicial authority over his actions during the Bosnian War. Now, the story that I want to tell today sits at the intersection of these two dramas. On the one hand, I want to talk about state building. Since the establishment of the court of Bosnia and Herzegovina, is a clear case, I'll call it the CBIH, um, through the talk actually, otherwise it'll get a bit wordy, is a clear case of building the capacity of the Bosnian state. It's a state-level institution in a country that has few functioning state agencies. Consequently, the process of establishing and sustaining the court has been as, contest as contested as the wider constitutional negotiations that we see unfolding today. On the other hand, the empirical material on which, on which this paper is based relates to an attempt to establish a new judicial authority, a new court within Bosnia 
with jurisdiction over war crimes committed in the past. The creation of the court, therefore, provides a glimpse of the contested process through which new judicial instruments are established and their legitimacy secured. So in order to examine these issues, I've been conducting research into the establishment of, of the court, exploring in particular its attempts to communicate its legitimacy to the wider Bosnian communities, and in particular to victim populations. Um, so recently, during a three-week um, field visit, um, it was in October this year, I examined the court's public outreach initiatives, focusing in particular um, on the court support network, an, initi an initiative prompted by the court to reach out to the Bosnian population through six mediating non-governmental organisations. Now, as, as Phil um, alluded to, this, this project um, exploring the, the establishment of the court and how it's tried to reach out to the Bosnian um, community through Bosnian communities through um, NGOs um, emerges from a very long-running interest I've had in the role of civil society organisations in Bosnia and, in particular, their normative placement within debates on democratisation. Um, this work has involved several periods of, of residential fieldwork in, in Bosnia over the last decade, in particular in the northern um, Bosnian town of Bridgeco. Um, one of the interesting findings of this work was a tendency amongst individuals within civil society organisations and international supervisory agencies to present justice, or these questions, these judicial questions, as an external rather than internal affair for Bosnia. You know, justice was something that was taking place at the Hague when I was doing my work in 2002, 2003 and 2004. And it was therefore outweighed the day-to-day -day concerns of democratisation and neoliberal transformation. I'm saying this was the perspective, this clearly isn't the case, this was a perspective that was advanced. Now this standpoint clearly reflects scholarly criticisms that I'm sure many of you are aware of, um, or maybe even authors of. Um, the standpoint reflects scholarly criticism of transitional justice process in Bosnia as both geographically and psychologically separate from the former Yugoslavia. So in order to explore this process of the establishment of the court of Bosnia and its public outreach um, processes, I adopted a qualitative methodology involving semi-structured interviews with representatives from the court, in particular from its public outreach division, um, from the ICTY liaison office um, in Sarajevo, and with NGOs in Sarajevo, Mostar, and Bielina. Um, I also sat in on the war crime, on uh, numerous war crimes trials of the court, but I'll be saying rather less about that um, today. That's actually for a different paper at a different time. Um, I've chosen these methods in order to understand the social and contextual processes that structure the reception of the new court. In a sense, I'm joining many others in attempting to sketch a kind of ground-up, localised perspective of political processes in Bosnia. Now, beyond the fine-grained detail that this sort of approach can offer, it also illustrates how attitudes towards the court are established and reproduced, perspectives that I hope will be helpful in understanding the establishments of institutions of transitional justices, justice in other settings. So through the qualitative approach of interviews and observations, I sought to explore how civil society organisations are working with the court to build public trust and examine some of the barriers that they face. And I should say as a aside, um, this is very much designed as a, as a pilot study. I don't think three weeks is in any way sufficient to, to explore these really complex processes you know, in a qualitative and in-depth and intensive way. So what I'm hoping to do is develop this programme, um, drawing out some of the themes that I'll be talking about today in a, in a longer longer-range project. 
So what I want to do today um, is, is present some of the initial um, emerging findings. Um, I've only been back for three weeks, so bear with me, I'm also a bit rough and ready. Um, but, I, but I want to present some of the emerging findings um, from this research, and I'm dividing this into three sections. In the first, I'll set the establishment of, this, of, of the court in its historical context. Now, this, this demands a much more patient engagement than I can provide here, um, and it's a, a patient engagement that's been started by others. But I will start by sketching some of the key events um, that led to the creation of the court and its contested position within contemporary Bosnia. Second, I'll provide details on the court support network. In particular, I'll draw on interview material from those who established or currently work with the court support network to examine their motivations um, for the establish of this, establishment of this outreach initiative. Third, and this is the kind of main body of the talk, I'll draw, draw out three key narratives that have emerged from the interviews conducted with members of the core support network. Um, narratives of resignation, narratives of despair, and narratives of hope. Now, I've, I've chosen the term narrative to highlight the multiple storylines that coexist within responses to the establishment of the court offered by members of the core support network. Now, this approach draws on feminist scholarship in resisting universalizing stressing instead the partial and particular nature of knowledge claims, grounded as they are in the context within which they are produced. I want to foreground that research participants offered their emotions towards the activities of the court, not some definitive or detached evaluation of its practices. I've chosen these, these specific narratives on the basis that they seem to encapsulate the complex and often ambiguous political stances um, with the individuals with whom I spoke. I forgot, I've actually got a, a slide that... Handily, instrumentally, sets out those three, um, those three sections. <coughs> um, so, uh, the first of these sections, um, the historical context of the court of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Now, as I said, I, I'm not going to go into sufficient historical depth, and this might be something that we can explore in discussions afterwards, if there are key moments that anyone's interested in. Um, or, or, or probably more, um, more specifically, um, horrible glaring absences from this historical record as I, as I, as I uh, trance over it. But, uh, but, but, and, and, and I'm also very extremely wary of trying to simplify the history of, of Bosnia. Um, it's something that um, can only ever uh, lead, lead to trouble. Um, you know, since in terms of misrepresenting complexity, or, or being misread as articulating a particular political position. So I'm, I'm extremely wary of that. But what I'm going to do in this section of the talk is outline four key moments. Outline four key moments um, that I think have a, have a crucial bearing on the establishment of the court and perhaps frame some of the um, political, social and cultural debates we hear about the court today. Um, the first uh, moment is that the conflict in Bosnia, as many of you will be aware, broke out in spring 1992 as the Bosnian government declared independence from what was left of Yugoslavia following the secession of both Slovenia and Croatia. This move was supported by those loyal to Bosnian Muslim or Bosniak um, and Croat causes. However, those loyal to Serb nationalist causes resisted this declaration, fearing minority status in the new Bosnian state. Over the following months, Serb military and paramilitary support forces, supported by well-armed um, JNA, Yugoslav People's Army um, forces, attempted to create a, a, an ethnically homogenous territory within Bosnia called the Republika Srpska. 
This action involved the expulsion or execution of non-Serb populations, the besieging of key cities such as Sarajevo and Gorazdja, and the holding of prisoner populations in a series of camps in Priador, Brichko and Bielina, amongst others, clearly. <clears throat> um, second, this is the second historical moment that I want to, to quickly flag up, um, the international response to the crisis um, in Bosnia. If we can talk about it in the singular, which is obviously in itself problematic, the international response was to view, view uh, this conflict as a humanitarian disaster, a point made by many scholars you know, across a number of different disciplines, certainly in my own discipline in political geography and critical geopolitics. This is a key kind of theme, was the presentation of the Bosnian War as a consequence of, some, of a humanitarian disaster. And here I'm referring to the portrayal of the conflict as a result of ancient ethnic hatreds or primordial evil, labels that present the violence as biologically predetermined and an essential part of Balkan temperament. So this idea of presenting this as a, as a humanitarian disaster suggests some kind of organic process um, rather than something that's uh, clearly a, a political manoeuvre. So, however, the images of war crimes that circulate in international media networks, in particular the pictures of emaciated um, Bosniak uh, men behind barbed wire at the Omaska prison camp in 1992, did not fit this narrative of chaos and hate. Okay, these are very jarring images that didn't fit this, this, this narrative of a victim, of a, of, a, of, a, of a perpetratorless conflict that only had victims. Clearly, this, this, uh, these arresting images, obviously, that go beyond the images from Amaska, but, uh, uh, and also, obviously, the, the siege of Sarajevo, but suggested something, something that clearly had a, had a perpetrator and a victim. As a response to these apparent violations of Geneva the Geneva Conventions, the UN Security Council, somewhat reluctantly, it had to be said, established a commission of experts to investigate alleged war crime in Bosnia. This commission led to pressure, particularly from French delegations to the UN, amongst others, to establish uh, uh, an ad hoc tribunal to hold individuals to account for acts against civilians in Bosnia. Um, despite the continuing reluctance from the UK and concerns from China and Russia over precedent setting, the Security Council established the ICTY through Resolution 827 um, on May the 25th, 1993. Um, and as many of you are aware, um, uh, the ICTY was, was um, established in response to what it considered as grave breaches of the Geneva Conventions, and it was tasked with prosecuting persons responsible for serious violations of international humanitarian law committed in the territory of the former Yugoslavia from January 1991 onwards. So despite... You know, it, it was retrospectively enacted for two years. Up to 2006, the ICTY has tried 161 individuals for war crimes. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, um, as you're aware, Radovan Karadzic's trial uh, commenced and then was adjourned um, in The Hague. This form of judicial response has set the tone, I think, <coughs> for the nature of post-conflict justice in, in Bosnia, specifically focusing on a retributive programme, holding criminals to account, rather than a restorative or reconciliatory process that has sought to establish shared truths and build trust between formerly antagonistic groups. Um, that's slightly broad brush, but I just want to raise at this point the very specific judicial um, mechanism that was set in place with the ICTY. Now third, <coughs> the conflict in Bosnia is the third historical moment within my, just to keep us up to date, within the, uh, the historical context of the court of Bosnia. Third, um, the conflict in Bosnia was finally halted, as you'll be aware, in December 1995, um, <clears throat> with the signing of the, uh, the Dayton Peace Accords at the, the Wright-Patterson Air Base um, near Dayton, Ohio. 
Now, what Dayton did, as, as again, I don't want to you know, preach to convert it, but what Dayton did was divided the state into, into two um, uh, sub-state uh, entities, the Muslim Croat Federation and the Republic of Srpska, and it also um, uh, created a special district um, in, in Bridgeco, where my previous uh, work has been based. I've written quite a lot about the, the district resolution, um, uh, the, the special district status of, of Bridgeco, established in 1999. Um, Now, <clears throat> the Dayton Accords, I think, has been um, appropriately criticised by many for um, both setting in place this, this specific territorial arrangement that is derived from some notion of ethno-national identity, while also um, enshrining the right to return uh, for refugees, this kind, of, this kind of paradox or this tension within the agreement that both allows it to suggest that it's created some uh, multi-ethnic um, state, while also um, uh, cartographically inscribing this, this notion of, uh, of different ethno-national territories. Now, I think there's a real danger <coughs> of reading off Bosnian politics through the lens of the Dayton Agreement. Um, I think that you know, we can tend to kind of lend primacy to Dayton and, and set other political processes or longer historical narratives into the background. Um, but the reason I mention you know, the reason I mention it, the reason I think it's worth just, just flagging up Dayton, um, I think the impact of this agreement and its affirmation of ethno-national territorial claims does continue to shape a number of um, many uh, political and social contexts in Bosnia uh, today. <clears throat> the fourth um, historical moment is the creation of the court of Bosnia and Herzegovina in 2004. I think the fact that Bosnia um, did not have a state-level court um, for, the first, for the first nine years after Dayton um, reflects the power of devolved government um, to the two entities in the Bridgeco district. The court was made possible through the adoption of a new criminal prosecution code at the state level in 2003 and the affiliated creation of a new ministry of, state ministry of justice and state agency for investigation and prosecution. Um, the court divides its work into three sections, section one for war crime, section two for organised crime, and section three for other crime. As mentioned earlier, um, since 2005, um, the court has, has received um, cases from the... Well, I, I don't think I did mention it earlier, actually, but since 2005, the court has um, received cases uh, from the ICTY, but it's also begun its own indictment and prosecution process through the State Agency for Investigation and Prosecution. Now, perhaps unsurprisingly, the establishment of the court has received sustained opposition, particularly from the Republika Srpska, um, whose Prime Minister Milorad Dodik has um, issued continual criticism of the court, fervorish criticism, um, recently suggesting that no Serb will be tried by a Muslim judge. Um, and he was including himself in that category. Um, there's concern, Dodik has concerns about the continuation of organised crime, Section 2 trials. Um, because he may well himself be the focus of them. So in order to strengthen this new judicial body, the court has been supported by an international judiciary working alongside Bosnian judges and international participation in the newly formed um, prosecutor's office. Um, in addition, the building itself, here it is, there's the, the court um, in Sarajevo. 
The court itself was um, constructed by, uh, with EU funds and, including, and, and the uh, government of Japan. And all of the uh, chambers, this is chamber six, um, all the chambers have been supported by um, uh, sort of bilateral aid from, from different, uh, mainly majority EU states. Um, this is, uh, as I said, uh, courtroom six, which is the maximum security courtroom. Um, it's where a number of the, the war crimes, where the majority of the war crimes cases are taking place, as far as I can tell, and it's uh, funded by the government of Belgium. Um, there's the, uh, where the judges sit, and as you see, it's a panel of three, three judges. Um, each one is, uh, has uh, participation by the international judiciary, but each one is led by a um, Bosnian judge. Um, that's the witness box. Well, that's important as talk, but there you go. And it's, um, you know, I think it, it well, actually, it is, it is, it is kind, of, kind of important, I suppose, because you know, what the witness box shows is, 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 is the centrality of the, of the visualiser as a, as, a, as a key tool, because so much of this evidence is documentary. You know, the, the trials that I sat in on, you know, it was, it was meticulous discussion about the nature of, of documentation, how, what date stamps were, you know, what, um, what particular authorities, you know, um, had agreed what, but at what time. Um, <clears throat> so those are four, four historical, the four historical moments that I want to flag up, and clearly I haven't done that in sufficient detail. There may be, will be uh, questions, questions afterwards, but I think it's important in order to set in context some of the, um, the debates and comments that I come to in the more qualitative section of the talk later on. So moving on to this, this section two of the court, uh, the, 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 court, the, um, the talk, um, talking about the, the court support uh, network. In 2006, the Public Information Outreach section of the court established a court support network. Um, the head of the outreach service approached um, five NGOs in Bosnia. They were selected for their geographical spread. They were located in Sarajevo, Mostar, Priador, Bielina, Tuzla, I think that's enough. And they, uh, they're and they're, um, and they're also selected for their established activity in areas of human rights. Consequently, these can't be classed as social movements or, or ad hoc civil society formulations, but they're rather professionalised non-governmental organisations with developed connections to the wider community. Um, in one case, um, that of Helsinki Committee in, uh, in Bialina, this organisation had worked with the ICTY and outreach programmes prior to the formation of the court. So over the course of the research in, in Bosnia, over the course of October, I spoke to three of these organisations, um, and spoke with the uh, original instigator of the, of the uh, court support network who currently works with the, um, with the ICTY liaison. Um, now the idea uh, behind the court support network was to strengthen public outreach in order to build credibility for the court amongst the Bosnian populations. As, um, as the, the ICTY liaison officer, as I mentioned, was the original instigator, um, uh, sets out, the outreach effort has never been a priority he was talking about the ICTY. It's always been funded by external donors. It was regarded as a nuisance by the judges and lawyers in the Hague. It was something that you have to do. Okay. So public outreach, reaching out from the from the from the ICTY to Bosnia, was seen as something something as a, of, a, of a nuisance. Um, yeah. And this is from the from the representative from the public information um, division of the court. Now. Um, explaining the decision to involve NGOs. The idea was that people felt more comfortable contacting an NGO than contacting a court. People were concerned about contacting courts. They were not seen as accessible. There was, there was a legacy of the Yugoslav past where courts were always seen as up here. 
So people didn't want to contact the court. Okay. So this idea of enrolling civil society organisations a more accessible way of contacting communities, but also clearly this is not a, a, a single um, a unidirectional process. There's something about people actually contacting NGOs and, and being in communication with the court as well. So already we have this idea, this, this developed idea, that it's not simply a, a case of outreach, but somehow uh, uh, an, an inverse process, perhaps in reach. Um, the final idea um, was to create um, the final idea was to create this a durable network of NGOs, this durable sort of sustainable network of NGOs that operated in Bosnia that served as this link point between the court and the community. Now, you know, as we'll see, um, this was more than public relations. Um, the process of building links with the community was clearly founded on, on improving or supporting the trial process by reaching out to potential witnesses and drawing attention to crimes um, that have been overlooked. The, the idea of the court support network was funded initially for six months as a, as a member of the, of the uh, Centre for Civil Initiative, one of the members of the court support network, explains. Um, I'm not going to read this one out, just get a theme feel for it. Sorry, there you are. So, so the core support network was envisaged as this sustainable group that itself would develop links with the wider community and perhaps build their own support networks um, beyond these five organisations out into other organisations, victim support groups, um, local community associations, in Bosnia, and so on. This would this would um, this would kind of be self-reproducing. Now, from the evidence that that, that, that I, uh, I gained from the discussions in Bosnia in October, um, this initial objective of the court support network was not met. Okay, um, the activity of the network as this as this kind of self-sustaining unit could not be sustained. Um, in particular. Well, hang on. The activity of this organisation cannot be sustained, but each organisation, as far as I can tell, within the group is still active. It's just not articulating its activities um, with, with each other. But by, by exploring the court support network, it draws into sharp relief the role that non-governmental organisations and civil society organisations are playing and the, their, their attitudes um, towards the establishment of the court and what I want to pick out in the rest, of the, the rest of the talk are three of the narratives that emerge from these discussions with the Court Support Network. As I will show, these narratives were at times contradictory. Expressions of the positive impact of the court were juxtaposed with anguish at the pace of justice or the impact of the court outcomes on the victims of war, of war crime. The interviews reflected the competing storylines within the judicial process. Um, uh, sorry. The interviews reflected the competing storylines within the judicial response to the Bosnian War as they coexist within this complex institutional response to systematic violence. And so what I want to do in the remainder of the, of the um, talk is pick out these three narratives that emerge from the interviews, from discussions with the Court Support Network. And they are narratives of resignation, narratives of despair, and narratives of hope. Before a very brief 
conclusion. So starting with this idea of, of narratives of resignation, a common emotion in the interviews and discussions I have with the NGOs and the Call Support Network was one of resignation. Now, I've, I've really struggled with whether this is really the correct term to capture a complex set of, um, of emotions and expression, ex expressions, but it does, I think, point to a kind of despondent acceptance amongst NGOs that the court's activities, and even the, the activities of the wider court support network, were captured by established political tensions in Bosnia, pro pro predominantly focusing on two cleavages, between different ethno-political groups and between domestic and international political actors. So quite established political tensions within the Bosnian post-conflict political milieu. This resignation pointed, um, pointed to the expressions and utterances by NGO members that reflected a belief that the court could only conform to rather than transform established political antagonisms in Bosnia. Now these narratives of resignation, I think, can be imperfectly classified in three fields. First, Interviewees identified narratives of resignation towards the politicisation of the war crimes um, trials and, and the wider court, as political elites have attempted to cast its activities as favourable towards particular um, ethnic groups. And uh, we've already heard from um, the, the Republic of Srpska Prime Minister um, Milorad Dodik and his vocal expressions of criticism towards the, towards the court. Now, I'll explore the motivations behind these acts in a little more detail below. But I think it must be recognised that these criticisms emerge from a desire not only to see an end to the trying of Serb indictees, but also to a general political distrust of state-level institutions that undermine the power of the Republic of Srpska. Now, a second field of resignation gestured towards the implications of this political context for the court's ability to conduct trials. I mean, the very existence of the court support network illustrates the need to share information about the court's activities in order to encourage witnesses to come forward and to support these witnesses through the trial process. Representatives from each of the NGOs expressed a challenge of working in a context where witnesses were often subject to threats, intimidation and physical violence. Um, this quotation, I think, from, from Representative, again, from, from the Centre of Civil Initiative in Mostar, I think reflects quite adequately this resignation towards the kind of political context within which the, uh, which the court is, is working. I'll read this one because it's quite, it's quite, it's, there was quite a lot of expression in it. What I do is the job of the Ministry of Justice, in my opinion. I mean, they have so many people working there who are their cousins, who don't do anything. I mean, that is true, and everyone knows that in this country. Why should I lie? They have too many cousins there. They always say the same thing. They say that they will solve this problem or that problem, or they will build a road and we wait for the last 13 years. They will prosecute war crimes, which we wait for the last 13 years. They will always solve the same problems, but it never comes. Okay? So really quite a stark articulation of kind of cronyism and nepotism within the political process. Um, in, uh, perceived cronyism and, and nepotism within the political process um, in, in Bosnia said with this, with, this, with this kind of wry, almost cynical um, uh, tone of voice that I'll return to at the end of, the, uh, end of this section. Now, the third, third field of resignation was directed towards the work of the court itself. The speed of the trials was criticised, the lack of ongoing support for an outreach effort for the court, and the, selection, the, the very selection of the, of the court building itself. The, the, the pink building I showed was a, a former Bosnian army base, the... Um, a uh, representative from the Public Outreach Service described it as 
four walls and a minefield when they took it over in 2004. So it's obviously required a lot of, a lot of work to try and re rebuild it. But obviously, with that remains the lingering kind of notion of, of some kind of, um, uh, uh, sort of ethnic affiliation in the way in which it's, it's located in a former uh, Bosniak um, army, army base. And, you know, feelings of resignation were therefore also expressed in the absence of any Bosnia-wide reconciliation measure, a sense that both the ICTY and the court of Bosnia have focused attention on the perpetrators of crime rather, rather than its victims, a point that I'll return to later. So I think as, what I want to draw out of these, of these narratives of, of, of kind of resignation, um, and I think it's, it's, it's really well reflected actually in, in, in this quotation from, from the, the Centre of Civil Initiative, but, but, but by others as well, I need to kind of go through the, the material and, and pick out more examples, is that the cases of resignation were often communicated through acts of cynicism, through reflections on hidden but commonly understood motivations, and attacks on the court and jokes about the probity of leading figures in media and, public li and political life. This reminded me um, of the work of anthropologist Yael Navarro-Yushin, who explores cynicism as a political strategy in, in, in contemporary Turkey, where cynical comments and jokes serve as a mechanism through which exasperation at the nature of politics may be voiced and shared. The concept of resignation points to this sense of a, a shared political context that may be both expected and assumed into the calculation of NGO um, activities. Now, the second um, set of narratives that I want to, I want to draw out from the, from the empirical material are narratives of, of despair. This was a, a, there was a very different emotion within these interviews that pointed um, to a more profound dejection amongst NGOs and the work of the court and the general possibilities of building trust through public outreach. This sense went far beyond a, an idea of making do or despondent acceptance that was suggested in narratives of resignation. This encompassed a sense of despair at the injustices that have taken place in Bosnia and the absence of sufficient corrective measures. A number of those interviewed had themselves been detainees in camps during the war and this personal sense of injustice framed moments in the, in the interviews. On a number of occasions, um, the respondents pointed to the deep sense of injustice of the very institutional response to war crimes. And a key example that many of you may well be familiar with um, that came up you know, repeatedly within the, um, within the interviews was that of um, Radovan Stankovic. Um, and uh, you know, Radovan Stankovic's initial indictment was by the ICTY. Um, uh, he was indicted for the systematic rape of women in the eastern Bosnian town of Focher, and he was eventually tried in 2007. Um, and this was a, a, a particularly gruesome and, and, and shocking set of, set of indictments. Um, so it was following his arrest in 2002, Stankovic's case was finally heard by the Bosnian War Crimes Chamber. It was transferred as one of the transfer cases in 2007. And he was finally found guilty and sentenced to 20 years in prison in May 2007. Um, but he was sent to prison in Focher where he previously bragged that through his connections he'd have no trouble escaping, and that's what duly happened. Um, he escaped only ten days later um, while he was attending dental treatment in Focher Hospital. He simply walked out and stepped into a waiting car. Um, now, there have been indictments uh, for, for individuals, including his brother, who um, uh, assisted with this, with this escape. Stankovic then crossed, well, 
it's thought Stankovic then crossed the border into Serbia and is now thought to be living in the, the Kosovan town of Mitrovica. Now, there are two issues here. I mean, it's just absolutely shocking. And to see the effect that this case has had on people who are working in justice in Bosnia is just, it's just absolutely shocking. You know, it's, a, it's a, a, a horrific situation. Now, but there are two issues I want to flag up for this talk. The first and most important is that though Bosnia um, has a, a state court and it has a state prosecution service, Bosnia does not have a state prison. Um, so Stankovic was sent to a prison, um, you know, as I said, in his hometown of Focha, where he was able to organise um, his escape. Um, apparently the, 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 the turf has been cut on a new prison, but nothing's happened about it due to lack of, lack of funding. Second, um, there are no bilateral extradition treaties in the former Yugoslavia, so absconding into another state is a routine practice by criminals on the run. Uh, many cases come to mind, most obviously, um, Radovan Karadzic's ability to hide out as Dragon Darvish, the alternative healer in Belgrade, comes to mind. Um, but the effects of the Stankovic case, I don't think, are simply to undermine the sovereignty of BIH. I think it's to misread this case, is to look at it in terms of the sovereignty of, of, of Bosnia. On numerous occasions during interviews, I've mentioned this case was used as an example of the humiliation of victims. Um, the humiliation of victims uh, and the, the absence of justice in, in Bosnia. Um, I'll leave you to, to read this comment from um, a representative from the Helsinki Committee in, in, in the RS. In Berlin, sorry. In the RS. You know, as, as I think these, the, these, these comments, comments show, and these, these are indicative of a wider set of comments by a number of different individuals about this case. Um, you know, these questions of, of, of public outreach clearly um, need to, and I think it, as I develop this project, I want to explore in, in further detail media responses to, to um, the, uh, the establishment of the court and how, and how um, the effect of, of media reporting on sustaining particular narratives of the court. Now, there were many other responses that shared this desperation articulated by the Helsinki Committee representative. The very existence of the court is under threat after the Bosnian government voted in October to end the mandate of the international judiciary and prosecution. <clears throat> Again, this is motivated by Bosnian Serb concerns predominantly um, that its organised crime investigations will encompass the leading political figures. Um, the withdrawal of the international judiciary, I think, would have devastating consequences since there is one international judge on each of the judicial panels, as I mentioned at the start, um, the, the exit of the international judiciary would je clearly jeopardise a number of on-running cases that have been um, going on for a number of years. <clears throat> and uh, you know, the timing, I think, is, is really important. I had a real sense from watching the ongoing trials that the very logistical challenge of organising witness testimony, many were unavailable, could not attend through illness or withdrew from, withdrew from appearing altogether. A number of sessions began with a discussion between the prosecutor and judge as to the c current status of witness availability. Um, discussions at one, sent one case descended into kind of almost farce as the whole court discussed how you phoned America, what code was needed. It was like a really bizarre like, situation where, you know, and it, 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 really, it reflected this kind of mundanity of many of the, the hold-ups and in, in, in why these trials are taking so, so long, issues I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, you know, and the, the acute time pressure was seen as a real challenge, was an element of despair for a number of these... Um, Oh, that, was about, that was about the international community. It's actually... Um, is that really um, this is about the withdrawal from the um, 
withdrawal of the international uh, of the international representatives in the judiciary. Um, um, it's a suggestion that the, that the international judiciary are acting as a shield and perhaps are sustaining the, the work of the court. There's a the challenge to the, the credibility of the court uh, were the international judiciary to, to withdraw. But on the, on the issue of um, issue of timing, again from the representative from the Helsinki Committee, um, pointing out that you can imagine, you can just imagine it. Witnesses are dying, and they, local prosecutors from the IRS, are counting on that. The people will die and they will say, yes, we, are, we were investigating, we don't have witnesses anymore. The frustration remains. People are dying, but the frustration is inherited by those who are staying behind. So there's an urgent need to do something. The issue of war crimes and, and pain is a big issue in this country. Everyone is pretending not to see the pink elephant running through our streets. Okay. So this real sense of, uh, of the urgency behind this, that, that actually, you know, while the trial process was evolving at a very, very slow pace and there was challenge, political challenges to it, could stall this process for even longer, there was a very real urgency about pushing this, this, this process onwards. So these narratives of despair went beyond the cynicism of resignation. This was not a knowing expression of the nature of Bosnian politics, but rather the despair uttered in interviews suggested a more final expression of the limits to any intervention to really make a substantive difference to those who have been the victims or witnesses of crime, uh, of war crime in the case of the Bosnian conflict. In a sense, this was not a day-to-day -day concern, but more an expression of the very irreversible mistakes in response to the violence and the immovable barriers to achieving a sense of justice. In going beyond a concern with Bosnian politics, I think these articulations of despair demonstrate the grounding of these issues in moral questions and categories. It seems banal but important to stress that the stated motivations behind the work of these NGOs was not simply technical or instrumental, such as supporting witnesses financially or providing resources for victim groups, but it was, a, it was normative work, attempting to change the nature of the judicial response to the violence. The NGOs were not then simply dealing with what is, but they were urging and, and, and pushing towards what ought to be. In that respect, I think it's really important to, to, to focus on narratives of hope that emerged from the interviews and discussions held in October. It would certainly misrepresent the discussions in Bosnia and the wider activities of the court support network. Um, uh, if I was simply present their responses in terms of resignation and despair. Alongside these responses was a sense of hope that there were spaces through which judicial responses may be strengthened and, as, it, as important, there were extrajudicial mechanisms that may be put in place to foster reconciliation in Bosnia. And in particular, the work of, of, of Centre of Civil, Civil Initiative in Mostar and, and Helsinki Committee in Berlin demonstrated the agency of these individuals and organisations to use available funds to act independently of either the court or international donors to facilitate cooperation in the court and, uh, and foster wider social understandings of its processes. While the CCI, the Centre for Civil Initiative, have been active in providing a point of contact for potential witnesses through the creation of their own network of association and victim groups in southern Bosnia, they had more recently turned their attention to formal lobbying of the government institutions to adopt a war crime strategy, um, which will provide an explicit statement shared by all political parties of how the Bosnian state government addresses prosecution of war crime. This activity reflects more than a belief in the possibility of change through formal political spaces. It also demanded the circulation of the strategy to 400 institutions and individuals through the network the CCI has established in southern Bosnia. In this way, this lobbying mechanism has served to provoke public debate as to the nature of the crimes during the war, 
and establish a common understanding of what would count as justice being done. It's this style of public deliberation that's been absent, you know, that, that in some ways some criticism suggests have been absent from the ICTY process, and which points to the hope of, of, of CCI to change the nature of the relationship between communities within which they work and the court. The Helsinki Committee, their narratives of hope were expressed in at least two ways. First, they have since 1999, so this precedes the, um, the establishment of the court, run one-day events where the trial process is explained by prosecutors, judges, and other court officials in the communities where the crimes were committed. In these oversubscribed sessions, the NGO and court come together to bring the evidence and witness statements back to the Bosnian towns of Foccia, Konjic, Brudziko, Sarajevo, and Srebrenica as examples, amongst others. In this way, the judiciary actually explains the legal basis for the verdict, and answering a demand that's often made, they explain the basis uh, for the sentence. For the first six years of the ICTY's existence, such initiatives did not exist. Thus, the existence of such an initiative demonstrates that hope amongst many of the Bosnian court can perform a more open and commonly shared sense of justice. The second approach of the, of the Helsinki Committee is to enter, and this I think is very interesting, particularly for the context we're in at the moment, is to enter the field of education. The latest project is to establish a university uh, module on human rights and transitional justice, um, uh, initially at the University of Bielina. They explained with a laugh that they had to do this under the radar, since the prevailing university administration... I'm just sure how you set up a module under the radar. It's Anyway, but I think, that, you know, I'll draw out what they mean by that. But, you know, they had to do that um, under, the, under the radar, um, since the prevailing university administration shares the wider um, RS political elite's distrust of the Bosnian court. So they had to underplay the connections with the court and focus instead on human rights, and, uh, and slightly more sort of abstract ideals with which the court is clearly connecting. Um, but in discussion, um, the representative uh, with the, with the uh, uh, of, of Helsinki Committee was very clear that such a programme was sought to build trust in the activities of the court through visits to their office, as in the NGO, and visits to the war crimes chamber of the court. It's hoped that this model will be rolled out to a further five universities across Bosnia. This initiative demonstrates a significant hope that the education system, which itself is largely fragmented down ethno-political lines, can provide a space for open discussion of both the Bosnian case in particular, but also wider questions of justice after conflict. Now, I don't want to offer these examples as clear evidence of the ability of NGOs to transgress the political context within which they operate. But I do so to, to illustrate all too briefly the significantly positive outlook of these NGOs as they sought to respond to the weak and often crisis-ridden judicial institutions. While the broader storyline of justice in Bosnia is one of missed opportunity or capture by ethno-political orientated forces, these actions speak of a more localised response that sought to build trust through the intimacy of meetings, conversations and university seminar rooms. Um, to conclude, um, at the end of my, um, at the end of the, the, the trip to to, uh, to Bosnia, I was in Sarajevo, and I, I went to meet a representative from the United Nations Development Program, um, the UNDP, um, because they're running a program called Access to Justice. I thought Access to Justice it sounds interesting, it's probably relevant to, to what, I'm, what I'm working on. So I went and, and, and met, met up in the um, in the main building on. Um, on Marshal Atita and, uh, and sat down with a coffee and I explained the project to the representatives I was talking to and she, she said she 
looked a bit kind of despondent and said, oh, you see, you're interested in, in questions of soft justice. We're interested in questions of hard justice. And set up this, this, this distinction. Now, I'm a political geographer, so this might be a very familiar distinction for you guys. But, I, you know, that struck me as a really interesting... And, and, and the response, the kind of emotional response of despondence struck me as a very interesting um, uh, reaction to the, to the, to the project. Um, you know, it, it, seems to, it seems to reproduce a kind of fictive isolation of the trial process beyond or above or away from the society with which it is serving. I think this prioritisation, I don't know, I'm just now widening it out, I'm just talking about a UNDP representative, but this idea of separating sort of hard and soft justice and perhaps even marginalising soft justice is really a, a very peripheral issue. I think, I think this, this prioritisation serves to marginalise the vital activity of civil society organisations. I say not only share information on the workings of instruments of justice, as I said at the beginning, it's not simply a communicative role, but they actually make this work possible through supporting witnesses and hoping for a better form of, of judicial response um, in both the trial, pre-trial and extrajudicial um, environments. Um, the conclusion of this paper, um, I'm not sure conclusion is really the right word, I will offer some concluding comments, but you know, this, is, this is very much offered as a, a, set, of, a set of reflections for, for discussion because um, as, as I mentioned, I'm wanting this project to evolve and to, and to develop into something slightly different. So the conclusion of the paper is, is both normative and methodological. The material emerging from this initial research illustrates the importance of exploring the establishment of new judicial instruments uh, mechanisms from the eyes of those who experience the crimes and seek redress, rather than simply from the perspectives of institutions and processes of the court or tribunal. By examining the narratives emerging from the court support network, we begin to see the barriers to the establishment of a shared understanding of justice in Bosnia and, I think more crucially, the effects of those barriers in terms of political disillusionment or disconnection from processes of justice. These processes are more than a footnote or an effect of attempts to establish judicial redress. They feed into formal political processes and institutions. Building consent for the new court frames what is possible in Bosnia, how individuals view the future of the state and what is meant by justice. Therefore, I think the two dramas with which I began this paper collapse into one. The constitutional negotiations and the ICTY trial of Karadzic will both fail if they continue to be perceived as separate stories. The possibility of a unified Bosnian state is dependent upon how the active pursuit of judicial redress for the crimes of the past is, is, is created and, and reproduced. As the, as the court support network has shown, this will involve creating space for public deliberation and reconciliation, without which political divisions that have characterised Bosnian politics will continue to thrive based as they are on mythical stories um, from the past. And I'll end um, my comments there. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Alex. <laughs>